0: This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process and streamline your entire used vehicle management process. Visit Recontract.com to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C.com.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas.
2: Today on the show... The UAW says it's signed up a majority of workers at Mercedes-Large U.S. plant. Electrified models score high on Consumer Reports' top 10 vehicle picks. And Hyundai, Toyota, and Mazda take top safety awards. Plus, General Motors Chief Financial Officer Paul Jacobson joins the show to talk about the automaker's evolving EV strategy.
3: We've got to get EVs to profitability, and that's, that's why we continue to lean hard into mid-single-digit margins by 2025 and even getting to variable profit positive later this year.
2: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
1: The UAW says most hourly workers at a key Mercedes-Benz plant in Alabama have signed cards to join the union. In a video, Mercedes worker Jeremy Kimbrell made the announcement surrounded by coworkers.
3: We've learned that we can't trust Mercedes with our best interests. There comes a time when enough is enough. Now is that time.
1: There was no immediate comment from Mercedes-Benz. The German automaker employs about 6,000 workers at the Alabama plant, which builds the GLE and GLS. The UAW says Mercedes marks the second plant to reach the majority card signing milestone in February. It said earlier this month that Volkswagen workers in Chattanooga, Tennessee, reached majority support. The UAW says more than 10,000 non-union auto workers across 14 auto companies have signed union cards.
2: The majority of Consumer Reports' top model
1: choices for 2024 are
2: electrified. Six of the entries on the organization's top 10 list have a conventional hybrid or plug-in hybrid variant. The plug-in hybrids gained prominence on the Consumer Reports list this year, aligning with their presence in the market. The top 10 models scored the highest in Consumer Reports ratings of road tests, predicted reliability, safety, and customer satisfaction. You can see the list and read
1: more about the rankings at autonews.com. Fiat is abandoning the mini car segment. That's as it renews its lineup with larger cars that will be sold with combustion engines and all-electric drivetrains. CEO Olivier Francois said in a video that Fiat will launch four new vehicles in four years in a, quote, new global game for the brand.
3: We are in a global game and our
1: next move will be to raise that global game with a set of new models designed to conquer the streets of the world. The new models will share a common global platform from Fiat parent Stellantis. It wasn't clear on Monday which, if any, of the vehicles would be slated for North American markets. And Hyundai Motor Group picked up the most
2: honors in the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety's initial list for 2024 Vehicle Safety Award winners. That includes the Genesis, Hyundai, and Kia brands. The group earned six of the Institute's Top Safety Pick Plus Awards, its highest safety honor, Those models include the Hyundai Ioniq 6, Kia Telluride, and Genesis GV60. It also placed in the top 10 safety pick awards for models including the Hyundai Elantra and Genesis G90. Toyota Motor, which includes Lexus, had the second highest total. It received one top safety pick plus award for the Toyota Prius and 12 top safety pick awards for models including the Toyota Highlander and Lexus NX. Mazda received five top safety pick plus awards, the most of any single brand, and earned one top safety pick award for the CX-90 plug-in hybrid. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, it looks like another milestone for the UAW. Most hourly workers have signed cards to join the UAW at a key Mercedes plant in Alabama. It looks like Sean Fain is gaining traction with
1: his Southern strategy. I guess so. At least a little bit of momentum getting started. You know, it's been pretty rare to even get one plant, two or even on the brink of an election. Now they've got two and they seem to be gaining some momentum. You know, Americans opinions of labor is the highest it's been in generations. And we see this UAW fresh off their big contract, really making some gains and getting some interest even in the Deep South. Very interesting.
2: I'm interested to see how much traction they gain by the end of the year.
1: Can they really force a vote and can they win one? Ah, good point. Coming up, General Motors
2: CFO Paul Jacobson joins the show to talk about the automaker's EV push. That's
1: next on Daily Drive. We want to hear your voice on Daily Drive. What would you like us to talk about this week on our Weekend Drive episode of the show? What are some of the biggest industry trends or news stories you're thinking about? Send us a voicemail, text, or email,
2: and you might hear it on the next edition of Weekend Drive. Here's how you can get in touch.
1: Call us and leave a voicemail or text at 313-444-2774. Again, that's 313-444-2774. You can also record your voice on your smartphone and send it to Daily Drive at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive one word, at autonews.com. And tune into the show this weekend. You might hear your question
2: or comment.
0: Managing your used inventory is not exclusive to one person or one part of the dealership. What does the communication look like between your fixed ops and variable teams. Are your vehicles getting passed from trade-in to recon with no hiccups? What is your average cycle time to get a used car ready for sale? There is a lot to keep track of all at once. Right now, you could be experiencing three major issues with your recon information causing process breakdowns. One, having to manually track down data. Two, outdated information giving you an incorrect picture of the market and process. Three, no recon visibility through the appraisal. Full insight at each step is crucial to making your used car department the most efficient and profitable it can be. Our new integration between ReconTrack and AutoVision, a vehicle acquisition market analysis platform, creates an end-to-end tool for your used car department to address these bottlenecks. With access to live appraisal information and reconditioning stats, you get a single view of every vehicle with all the data you need right in one place. Make more educated decisions on your used car inventory faster with all your data in one place. Visit inforecontractcom autovision for more information. That's info.recontrac.com/autovision.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. General Motors is one of several major automakers adjusting to the twists and turns of the EV adoption curve. While demand for battery-powered cars and trucks is still growing, adoption has cooled off a bit more than GM expected. That comes as the automaker gets set to release a number of new EV models this year, featuring its Ultium battery platform. Paul Jacobson is GM's Chief Financial Officer. He spoke with me and Automotive News GM reporter Lindsey Van Holly. Today, we'll hear the first part of that conversation, which focuses on the company's evolving EV strategy. Paul Jacobson, welcome to Daily Drive.
3: Jamie, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today.
1: It's our honor. and we are joined by Lindsey Van Holley, a reporter here at Automotive News, who covers General Motors.
4: Happy to be here.
1: So I want to start the conversation on EVs. Electric vehicles are such an important investment area for uh, the auto industry these days. How's the ramp up of the Ultium EVs going so far this year? I mean, has GM set launch dates yet for the Equinox, Silverado, and Sierra EVs?
3: You know, Jamie, thanks for uh, thanks for asking. You know, as we've talked about over the last several events that we've had, whether it's earnings or, or investor conferences, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges of 2023 and some of the lessons that we learned. And, you know, I think I'm really pleased to say that 2024 so far has gotten off to a really good start. I think we're on plan. And uh, while we have some ground to make up, you know, we so far with the progress we've seen and some of the ramp up of uh, particularly the module stacking process that was such challenge for Mm -hmm. us last year. Uh, We feel confident that we're going to hit our goal of 200 to 300,000 Ultium products out in the market this year.
1: Is there a launch date for the Equinox or the, the big trucks?
3: We're just continuing to play that out. You know, what we want to do is make sure that we don't get so beholden to dates that we're compromising quality or things like that. So we've had a a number of challenges uh, that we've worked through in terms of uh, making sure that the vehicles uh, that we're sending to market are of the quality that our customers expect. And uh, that's what we're laser focused on rather than hitting a date or hitting a volume target.
1: Makes sense. I mean, because of the setbacks, I mean, can you provide a little more detail about what the problem was with the automation of the battery module assembly in a, I don't know, in ways that (laughs) regular, that people who are not engineers can understand? And I guess just to ask to follow up ahead of time, I mean, like what gives you confidence and can give your stakeholders confidence that this has really been solved and that production is going to go as planned on future products?
3: Yeah, so for those of us that are not engineers, including myself, you know, essentially what we're doing is we're taking cells, which are you know long strips as we've seen them, and we're stacking those into modules. And then those modules, which if you think about it like a box, go into a pack, which forms the foundation of the vehicle. So what we found is we were having some difficulty with the initial setups of the module stacking process, both in terms of speed and quality and consistency. But we worked very, very closely with our suppliers. Uh, we've put our own um, sort of tactical teams on that to make sure that we can get that focused, you know, on it to be able to solve those problems. And you know, one of the things I'm really proud of as an organization is, you know, we made the decision not to slow down cell production. We could have easily said, well, you know, that's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to create inventory, working capital draws, et cetera. But we went ahead and did that because we knew we were going to get the the stacking constraint lifted by the uh, teams solving the problem and we wanted to be in a position that once we did that we were able to scale quickly and i think as a result of that when we look at uh, 2024 we're going to know that we produced a whole lot more vehicles than if we were trying to fix the module issue and then restart the cell plant. So while there were some challenges uh, in terms of, of making sure that we continue to build those cells, even when they didn't exactly have a home right away due to the bottleneck in the process, it's put us in a much, much better position to be successful in 2024.
4: How is GM thinking about EV pricing? You know one of the things that came up uh, over and over again at NADA this year was, you know, talking to dealers, what they needed to successfully sell EVs are either affordable EVs or, you know, support from manufacturers to offset higher prices. And, you know, the Equinox EV, kind of the original target there was about 30,000. It's going to start a little bit higher than that when that base model comes out. But, you know, just kind of thinking about, you know, the attention on affordable EVs, some of the Chinese brands and the price points that, that they're hitting, you know, what does GM consider to be an affordable EV? And does GM have one? Is it working on one?
3: Well, you know, it's a great question, Lindsay, and probably one that I get from investors quite a bit in terms of talking about our ability to be competitive. You know, what I would say is the portfolio that we've built and what we're what we have taken to market and what we are going to be taking to market is the product of, you know, extensive study in terms of what we think consumers want, what they've told us that they're interested in. So we've got a quiet confidence about our ability to maintain pricing. Now You know, as is the case in many, many industries, uh, this one changes a hundred times a month. uh, And we've got to make sure that we stay in tune with where the customer is and where the market is. But I think when you look at the products that we're bringing to the market on a like-for-like basis, we tend to have more range. We tend to have better uh, capabilities of the vehicle than what's been put out into the market uh, to date. You know, the one exception I'll tell you is probably... Tesla, while we compete very fiercely and very well with Tesla, they're pretty established out there as an EV brand. Everything else, I think, has come to market fairly quickly. And when you look at the investment that we've made in the platform and uh, and ultimately what Ultium is, we think it's going to win over customers because it addresses many of those anxieties that EV adopters have and still have. And uh, as a result of that, we think that uh, we'll be able to compel a nice premium in the market. But at the same time, we've got to be mindful of that. And that's why we've been relentlessly focused on taking costs out of the organization. Uh, You know, we unveiled a $2 billion net cost savings program last year. uh, And that was in part to make sure that we can be competitive against the face of of domestic and global pressures uh, around the world. So I think I think we've gotten a good head start on that. Uh, we've got a long ways to go, but uh, as we've said before, our our goal, our guidance that we've gone out there with, is that we can get to mid-single digit margins on uh, on electric vehicles in 2025, uh, which would put us in a very very competitive position against uh, anybody else that's been out there in a, in an established way.
4: You know, the Bolt EV coming back in 2025. How does that factor into that affordability question? You know, does that really check that box when it, when it gets here?
3: It certainly will. And you know what we've seen from our prior experience with the Bolt is that was a vehicle that customers loved. And in fact, we had been going down the path of creating what we called an affordable EV platform, uh, which was going to be something completely different. And it was going to be on the Altium platform. And what we found is we were spending billions of dollars to create something new that was going to then have to win over customers again. And, and uh, you know, our engineers and our designers, to their credit, said, you know, well, what if we redesign the bolt? Uh, we've got an established brand. We've got a really good product that customers love. We can realize some of the efficiencies of the Altium platform using LFP uh, chemistry and technology uh, and and make it more profitable for us uh, and uh, and significantly improve the business case for it. And as a result of that, we're able to save billions in forward capital and leverage platform that uh, that we already know customers love. So. You know, while we're while we're putting that into uh, into practice, there's a little break here before the bolts available again. Uh, but when it comes back, we think it's going to certainly be a winning product in that lower price uh, uh, demographic uh, that we've seen it be so su- so successful over the prior years.
1: You mentioned the plans to be profitable next year, and I know you've tried to shy away from volume targets necessarily, uh, but. Does GM still project maybe hitting 50 billion in revenue from EVs by 2025, uh, the 2022 Investor Day goal?
3: Yeah, so Jamie, you know, part of the reason I think we've stopped giving targets is because, as dynamic as the market has become, and and you know, if you if you go back to many of the comments that I've said at, at investor conferences and earnings calls, is you know, I've never been a believer that the path to EV adoption was going to be smooth. There are going to be a lot of uh, slowdowns, speed ups, uh, stop starts, etc. I think over time, as people get more accustomed and more familiar to what EVs um, bring to the table in terms of their own compatibility with their lifestyles and the capabilities of the vehicle, et cetera. So, you know, it's not not that much of a surprise that we've seen a slowdown. Now, you know, I think one of the things that the market has overreacted to is, you know, oftentimes we see written that. EVs are in decline they're not they're just growing at a slower rate than they have been for the last couple of years and and I think we're going to see those periods before so rather than having wall street get hung up on whether we hit 50 billion or it's 48 billion or 49 or 51 we really want to be focused on on a couple of things number one we've got to get EVs to profitability and that's that's why we continue to lean hard into mid single digit margins by 2025 and even getting to variable profit Positive later this year. Second is making sure that we've got a portfolio that allows us to grow our top line revenue. So it's not enough that we just sell EVs. We need to continue to attract EVs and, uh, and new customers into the General Motors uh, portfolio. Uh, and uh, certainly in some of the early order indications that we saw in the Lyric and the Hummer, customers are coming to us who have never bought a GM product before. And that's what allows us to ultimately enhance the profitability of the company is by growing the top line while we're climbing that. that that margin trajectory and getting to uh, mid-single-digit margins in the EV portfolio and not just cannibalizing our really strong and successful ICE franchise.
4: You know, there's a a lot of discussion about about plug-in hybrids. You know, GM certainly announcing plans to bring those back to North America. You know, there's not a lot of details yet, but I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of kind of about the thinking there and, you know, what segments might make sense for plug-ins in North America. Talking with analysts, you know, several say... Full-size pickups could be a place to start given their volume in the market here. You know, are you working on anything there? Is there anything, you know, you can say about what segments might be ideal for that technology?
3: Yeah, sure, Lindsay. I won't. I won't go so specific as to talk about our our product plans here. But you know what I will tell you is, as, as we've said before, plug-in hybrids are, we think, in an, an essential option for us to to maintain, in order to make sure that we comply with cafe standards, greenhouse gas standards, that the uh, regulatory environment is putting on us. We don't want to end up in a situation where we are so reliant on EVs and the magnitude of EVs to maintain the ICE franchise if EV demand isn't there. And what we've seen in many of the early indications, and our competitors have said this as well, is that plug-in hybrids are emerging as as a good option for people who maybe aren't quite ready to make the plunge to full battery electric vehicles. So having that out there gets us a leg up on compliance and making sure that we can continue to run the portfolio and, and having those levers available. You know, through this adoption period uh, is going to be really important to make sure that uh, we don't push the customer into somewhere where uh, they might be uncomfortable, uh, or where we might have to heavily discount for the sake of compliance. So, you know, I think with respect to trucks, I think you mentioned that, you know, plug-in hybrids in the in the truck world. You know, one thing I want to say is that you know we believe that our battery electric truck portfolio, with the Silverado work truck, and then ultimately coming out with the retail models um, later this year, we think that's going to be a winning franchise. I mean, when you look at the range capabilities, more than thirty percent premium to anything else that's out there on the market, and you know, I think it's the first EV pickup truck that. You won't have to sacrifice capabilities or range if you want to tow, if you want to use it for many of the things that our pickup truck customers do use it for. So I think there's a lot to come on that, but you know, certainly we'll look at all of the markets that are out there in terms of where plug-in hybrids can go and balance that against where the customers are.
1: You mentioned the bumpy road to EV adoption and one of the current headwinds uh, for a lot of sort of mass market consumers who... Uh, are hesitant to make the jump to an EV is around the charging network. Uh, GM is working with several other automakers on the Iona. When do you foresee like construction of charging stations beginning and and really getting that out there and making things easier for EV owners?
3: Well, that's going to come. But I think even more quickly than that, Jamie, is the uh, partnership that we announced with Tesla, where, you know, in early 2024, and we're, we're very, very close, we expect that, you know, we'll get adapters in place for customers who have already purchased an EV. Uh, and for those who might purchase one before we get the vehicles converted, we'll have a converter that will allow them to use Tesla chargers uh, across that network, which will more than double the number of chargers that are available. Available to GM uh, owners and, and operators of their vehicles, but you know we we recognize, and I think even the government and the policymakers recognize that getting broad-based charging available out there, particularly in communities, but also on uh, on the interstate system for road trips, et cetera, is going to be one of those things that we've got to do as an industry and as a, as a country and as a matter of policy um, to make people more comfortable with EVs. Uh, to our credit, you know, we announced programs several years ago where we talked about partnering with our dealers in local communities. We've got home charging solutions, and we've also got agreements with Pilot Flying J and others on on interstate charging, where we're trying to build out that network ourselves. Iona gives us another opportunity out there to make sure that we're spreading that capital cost across uh, multiple players in the industry so that we can realize those economic synergies uh, and deploy the capital where it's going to be most effective.
1: I'm glad you mentioned regulators. Before we uh, move on to another topic, I, I wanted to be sure to ask, you know, we've seen reports that the EPA is willing to um, modify its proposed rules for uh, tailpipe emissions, perhaps not requiring 60% EV adoption by 2030. What does GMC as a, a reasonable level? Should it be 50%, 40%? Where do you think the market's going to be?
3: well you know i think the point of having the discussions with the regulators is to make sure that we strike a balance against policy and where we think consumers might end up i think the the worst of all worlds is we end up in a situation where the regulatory environment compels or mandates EV adoption in a way that consumers aren't ready for it. You know, we certainly have made some very bold statements about our desire to go to 100% light duty uh, EVs by 2035. But you know, the path from here to there is is going to be variable based on where consumers are. We want to make sure we bring consumers along. We believe we're making compelling products that are going to encourage people to adopt EVs because of the capabilities of the vehicle uh, and what they bring to market. But we've got to make sure that we maintain balance. I think if we get into a situation where policy mandates and dictates are going much, much faster than where the consumer is, we'll end up in a period that will be very, very difficult for the industry to remain competitive. Fortunately, I think we've worked well together as an industry with policymakers to make sure that we try to maintain that balance.
1: I'm looking for a number, but I mean, is there, there where do we think that balance is going to end up or where should the target be set?
3: Well, you know, look, one of the things in my role is to to not get fixated on a number. And uh, I'm not trying to dodge the question as much as I'm trying to say we're trying to position the company for any range of outcomes. I think we've got a lot of embedded flexibility uh, in the business with, a, with an industry-leading ICE portfolio, manufacturing flexibility, but also the infrastructure that we've been building for the last several years to really scale EVs up rapidly. So, you know, I want to make sure that we're in the position of lease risk and highest probability of success, no matter what that curve looks like. And I think so far uh, with the infrastructure that we've built, we're in a really strong position, Jamie.
1: That's the first part of our interview with GM CFO Paul Jacobson. Come back tomorrow for the conclusion of our conversation when we talk about competition from China, troubles at GM's Robotaxi unit, Cruise, and more
3: at the cruise organization. I think everybody understands that we've got a responsibility to make sure that in the event we have another accident, it's, it's done with complete transparency, no question about what was communicated when.
1: That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And
2: I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer, Jake Neer, as well as our own Hannah Lutz and Audrey LaForest for their reporting for today's podcast. We also had reporting from Andrea Milan of our sibling publication, Automotive News Europe. You can get the latest news on electrification, UAW organizing efforts, and everything happening in the auto industry at
1: autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And let us know what you think of the show. Send us an email at, dailydrive at autonews.com.